Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say jumble? Cause I don't stumble or bumble like a Greg or Brian Gumble. Standing on the ground, flat feet, coming worms and drugs. And I'm doing it on my terms. Welcome to the Rumble. We are back and better than ever helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punch, so we're here each and every week helping you keep your guard up. I am Jeremy Lavelle with Remedy Claims Consulting at Claims Coach on Instagram and TikTok, and they just call me the mouth of the South. And alongside of me, once again, is the catastrophe queen, the claims dame, Miss Jessica Odell, and... The radiantly radical and the rapturously ravishing, the one, the only, baby cakes, Miss Donna Lavelle. How's everybody doing today? Good. Are we all going crazy? We finally saw it out here in Texas. Yep, I was able to put the turtles back outside. You were, oh, well, that's good to know that the turtles have returned to a normal habitat. Mine would just be... I was going to say, and just and the fact that it's actually stopped raining... <laughs> I mean, it rained for what, six days straight? Which is nice. Yeah, the sun has definitely peaked out here in Texas. I think today we have a high of 70. So last week, 12 degrees. This week, 70 degrees. 70. So, well, you know, who can tell? Who knows what's going to happen? Um, and I, I'm, I, I promise not to get used to it. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, it'll, we'll have another cold spell before. I'm hoping we have one or two more. I, 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 again, I like the cold and I never complain about the cold because it gets so stifling hot here. And I, you talk about something I'm definitely not used to is how much hotter it can always seem to get each and every week. It's kind of crazy. Um, so you're just coming off a uh, shoulder surgery, aren't you, Jess? Yes, I am. So, did they get in there and like clean some stuff out? Did they rewire? Yeah, yes. what, I mean, what happened? What was going on with that? Yeah, I tore my rotator cuff. I keep forgetting I'm no longer 20 or 30. And um, I wish I had a cool guy story, but I'm both 20 and 30 old. combined. That's what I am. <laughs> so, I don't want to hear any complaints about that. <laughs> so, lo and behold, it's a chicken story. It's a chicken. I had loaded a 40 pound. A 40-pound bag of chicken feet on one shoulder and another 40-pound bag on the other shoulder, my left shoulder. And when I went to rotate to put the bags into the feed bins, my left one just got tweaked a little bit. I didn't think much of it. I just figured, all right, you know, I just tweaked it and it'll work itself out. Six months later, I finally went to the doctor about it. They did an MRI and they're like, yeah, you tore your rotator cup and now you have frozen shoulder. So... That's uh, that's what they did. And I'm telling you, they sent me home with a pump that literally had a tube and a catheter go into where they did the surgery through the back of my neck. And the, uh, that pump would pump out every two hours. Nerve blocker. Yeah. And when they, <laughs> I have heard, I had heard time and time again, oh, the, a shoulder surgery is the most excruciatingly painful surgery out there. And I was thinking, how, how? I mean, your knee has got to be pretty bad too. I mean, all those really tight joints where there's not much room, you know, space. I, I don't know what it is. If it wasn't for that nerve blocker, I do not know how I would have survived. <laughs> do you have any additional, so like, uh, you know, you know, oral like opioids or anything, any of the good stuff did they, did they hand any of that stuff out? Yeah, they gave me a couple of hydrocodones to get me through the first couple of days and that was it. So when the nerve blocker came out, it was, 
I didn't want to talk to anybody. Don't talk to me. Don't look at me the wrong way. No, nothing. It's so special. Let's will you straight into physical therapy because if you thought you were pissed off before, you're about to get really pissed off now. Yeah. So, yeah. Physical therapy was just a lot. I went to my first one on Thursday and it was, it was rough. And he was like, he said, well, you said you're military, right? I said, yes. He goes, okay, well, sometimes when you do a stretch or an exercise, when you think you can't do it, I want you to put in a little bit of military. And I said, sir, I don't think you understand. I said, I don't, there's either a, I don't do it enough or I overdo it. There's not much middle. <laughs> so, I really, I really. No, actually it, it worked out fine. It worked out I good. Really, the, the physical therapy really is helpful. I really appreciate physical therapists and all that they do and how they push and how they're spoken to, because I believe there's a special place in hell for physical therapy. And it's like, Oh, your, your version of hell will be, you'll be in physical therapy and it'll be like the first day for the rest of eternity. And that will be the hell that you live in. That's what I'll be assigned to. I'm quite certain of it. And uh, enough of my facts. Hey, baby cakes. Do you have any fun facts that you can let Hello. us in on? Hi. Um, fun facts with baby cakes is brought to you by ink the best way to get paid after a property claim ink um, save time get paid i have some interesting facts my first one is the name jessica was invented by william shakespeare did you know that what yep no he was um, jessica was the daughter of shylock a jewish money lender in william shakespeare's play the merchant of venice in there you go. 1598 Looky there, the origin of Jessica is from Shakespeare. And we found it on the internet, so you know it's true. Yep. <laughs> so I have some interesting facts about um, some celebrities that, that are very smart. They have um, degrees in certain subjects that are makes them very smart. Um, Brian May has a PhD in astrophysics. Tell us why we would know who Brian May is. Um, he is from queen i believe he's from queen he's yeah. the guitarist for queen i yeah. believe isn't he yeah yep. ryan may he's got a degree in astrophysics yep and rebel wilson has a law wow. degree hmm. ashton kutcher has a bachelor's in biomedical engineering holy cow the wow. guy from dudes where, where is my car <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um kim jong kim jong is a medical doctor huh Weird Al has a bachelor's in architecture. I knew Kim Jung was a medical. I knew that. I yeah. knew that. He's the guy that's in the hangover, right? Yep. Yep. Right. Toodaloo, mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Weird Al has a bachelor's in architecture. Gene Simmons from Kiss has a bachelor's in um, education, and he was a teacher. Before. Can you imagine being a kid in his class? Yes. yes. <laughs> Wow. Yes. <laughs> yes, actually. Yes, I can. In this, fact, I'm imagining it right now. <laughs> right now. Oh, imagine this. Ron Jeremy has a, a master's in special education. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I bet it is special. Yeah. I don't know what to think about that one. <laughs> Rowan Atkinson has a master's in electrical engineering. Uh, Conan O'Brien graduated from Harvard Magna Cum Laude. Laude? Magna, Magna Cum Laude? Yep. Yeah. Um, Gerard Butler has a law degree. Um, Dexter Holland from The Offspring has a PhD in molecular biology. Shut up. Does he really? Yep. And my wow. son is, is working on, he's going to get his master's and eventually his PhD in molecular bio, 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 biology. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> 
Dolph Lundgren has a master's in engineering. Huh. That's crazy. You know, um, Jacob Dylan, Bob Dylan's son, has a master's degree in in uh, engineering as well. Nice. So, yes, yeah, a lot of these people are are super super educated, which means that's why they can navigate um, things that require a lot of attention. You know, because mm-hmm. I don't think being famous is as easy as people think it is. Yeah, you know what I mean, I think that, I think that there's probably more to it than all of us realize. Other than you know, you just got lucky and signed a big record contract. Now, I think I think there's more to it. You know what I mean? It requires a little bit more effort than just being talented. So now you know, and knowing is half the bullshit. And there you go, and knowing is half of the bullshit, guys. I am looking forward to this show like you would not know. Um. Sometimes I feel like I'm scraping the bottle of the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> the bottle of the barrel. No, I am. <laughs> sometimes I feel like I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel to find something that's relevant. But this is one thing that I firmly believe is a lost art. I think that not enough emphasis is placed on it. I rarely hear people talk about it. I know it's rarely educated. Um, and it is a dying uh, skill, and that is the skill of how to properly write and communicate a final demand on the behalf of our clients. And I think that um, that skill is going away. There are lots of things that require the, the skill of being able to communicate in written form that go into being a public adjuster, and we got to sharpen those. And so we're probably going to be digging into several of those things. But for today, we're going to be talking about the final demand and how to properly write a final demand and what goes into it. I am really looking forward to this. Let's dive right in. Round one starts. Oh, let me tell you this. Okay, so I always forget to do this. I've gotten gotten used to you know skipping over this part, but I want to remind you that this is going to come in three separate rounds. When you hear this sound, that means that the round has begun, and when you hear this sound... That means that the round is over. Jessica and I are not debating. We are simply having a discussion because it's you that is in the rumble and we're merely providing the commentary of the ins and outs and ups and downs of what it's like to be a public adjuster and a contractor in this crazy shifting world of claims. So guys, buckle up, settle in. Here we go. Round one starts right after this. Public adjusters, roofers, and restoration contractors, listen up. This is Jeremy Lavelle, host of The Rumble, and I am hosting a very unique training event called Control the Narrative. I will be unpacking all of my tips, tricks, and tools in a -a one-of-a-kind, one-day masterclass. If you want to learn practical claim strategy, how to gather the actual documentation that gets the claim approved, and how to manage and organize multiple claims, you are going to want to sign up for this event. Control the Narrative is being held on March the 5th at Alamo Draft House in Irving, Texas. You will receive a full day of training, access to all the tools and technology used in the process. You're going to get free swag, and most of all, you're going to get all of your questions answered. Lunch is going to be provided, and there's going to be a happy hour immediately following the training. So go to remedyclaims.com training to register. There's only 50 seats available, so don't wait. Register now, and I'll see you on the next one. Round one, what is a final demand and what is the purpose? So Jess, I'm going to kind of, I'm, I'm just going to throw the ball straight to you. Here we go. What is a final demand and what is the purpose of it? It, it basically formalizes 
the process, right? So you're, you start off with your initial demand or your proof of loss package. You, you get into that kind of, it's formal in a sense, but it's still kind of informal. You're back and forth in it. You're trying to negotiate. Uh, but I have found that a final demand is something that formalizes that process. It is a formal request for a specific settlement amount to resolve the claim. Sure. Um, it's usually after you've already evaluated all the damages, the losses, you've gone through the policy, all that other good stuff, right? It's the last ditch effort, that last chance to settle the claim fairly and, and timely. And a lot of people don't do it anymore. They, they, we, I've heard many people call it, especially attorneys. It's the lost art of the final demand that the public adjusters, I mean, they just don't write them anymore. It's usually falls on the attorney to, I mean, it just doesn't happen until the attorney's process and they do it through the attorney route. But fi- public adjusters used to write final demands all the time. Yeah. Um, it, it is a critical step towards that, that very end. Right. And that's that's what kind of indicates we're serious. We've gone through everything within the confines of our license, our left and right limits. Right. We've done everything possible. We still have this breakdown in the settlement process. We're, we're it, it indicates that the client's not just going to go away. This is what is final and left in the balance here. You make a final decision because the client's ready to move on and seek, you know, alternate you know resolution. I want to I want to point out just a couple of things about what it is. Okay, so it's and I also want to kind of talk about what it isn't, you know, um, what it is, is that this is our final conclusion on where the claim is. Generally, it's going to come after a period of time. Um, I can't tell you the number of claims that I'm working on where an issue has come up somewhere down the road that we didn't really realize that it was this initial thing. And I'm going to give you an example. I was working a fire one time and the fire was pretty much contained to the inside of the house other than some smoke damage, like to the soffit. And, you know, we had some, some melted, you know, some melted things on the exterior, that kind of thing did happen from time to time and will happen from time to time. But for the most part, it was contained to the inside of the house. And obviously the air handlers on the inside will get damaged. Now, I'm not going to go into the extent of damage that was here, but there was an important thing that I didn't realize until we got ready to change things out. So we, you know, obviously wrote to change out the air handlers that were clearly damaged by smoke and by water and all this kind of other thing. And we realized that being able to change these out. Now the air handlers that we had were no longer available, but it was an 18 sear system. And in order to get the 18 sear system, they had, which is a high rated system, especially like in the Texas, Oklahoma area to have something that is that high of an efficiency, because basically that's what sear is doing. It's a high, it's it, most of the time you'll see a, you'll see a 14, you'll yeah. see a 15, you'll see a 16, but this happened to be an 18. 16. This has happened to be an 18 sear system. And what made it an 18 sear system is that it was perfectly matched with the condenser outside. And if we didn't have a perfect match between the condenser and the air handler, then we were going to lose that 18 sear rating. Okay. Now to put in another air handler, we would have been at 16 sear. It still would have been good, but it would not have been, it was not, it's still not pre loss. It would have been a degradation. And so as we're putting this together, the, the HVAC guy comes to me and he goes, it's not going to function the same kind of way. 
You know what I mean? It's not going to function at the same level of, of efficiency that it did before. In fact, it's going to go down to 16, maybe even 15. I don't really know until we get it all installed. And so I went into basically this thing became discovered and they didn't want to fix it and blah, 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 blah. And finally, I put together all of my facts and submitted kind of a final demand on the claim. And the primary sticking point at this point was the HVAC system. And sometimes, you know, you're going back and forth and you're trying to work the claim, especially with a large loss that's extensive and you've got multiple stages, whether it's the cleanup stage and then you're then you realize that we're going to have to make some changes. Maybe you have some code issues that that are going to change things okay maybe this wall's got to be moved maybe this where we had an electrical outlet before we don't we can't have that electrical outlet there now so it's going to have to be moved and so you're trying to figure out these different things that go on and you go back and forth and once you kind of have these stages complete you these things become discoverable over time and Sometimes the final demand is written basically now that I have gone all the way through the loss, we are confident that we have found everything and this is the end of our demand. Our claim, all of the investigation of the claim at this point has been complete. So a final demand isn't just, I'm going to tell you one last time and if you don't do it, we're going to leak. It's Sometimes it is that, but sometimes it's also, I have completed my full investigation and this is what we see it to be. You know what I mean? And sometimes it, it, it's basically kind of putting a bookend at the end of the claim. We have found everything here and it bookends the claim. And that's essentially what it does. Now, whether they cover it or don't cover it will inform what comes next. But this is the bookend of the claim. We have found exactly what we want to do. That is what a find. That is the idea behind a final demand is it's a bookend. Whether it's covered or not or whether it's accepted or not is really immaterial. It's not necessarily meant to be a threat as much as it is to be a conclusion to the investigation. And that's really what it is, is a conclusion to the investigation. And sometimes that takes a while to get there. You know what I mean? Sometimes it takes a while to get there and you may have to, because of your final demand, realize that, oh my God, I submitted a proof of loss within the first 60 days, but now my proof of loss has changed because my understanding of the expanse of the damage is different and you'll have to submit an updated proof of loss with your final demand. That is a very common thing that you're going to have to consider and think of and do when you're piecing this thing together because if your final demand is a... is, is is you know significantly larger than what your original thought was when you turned in your original sworn proof of loss if it has changed drastically because of discovery that has happened during the destructive nature that is getting a house ready to be repaired. Because when we go through the restoration process, there is that preparation of restoration that a lot of people don't realize. It's like you have a hole in the wall, but that hole in the wall, we're going to have to cut out more of that drywall that was there before than what the actual damage is. We're going to have to get this thing prepared and ready to go. And so that final demand is now we're ready to fix it. We found everything we want. Here's my updated proof of loss and oh by the way here's here's my final demand in the bookend on my claim so i don't i didn't mean to steal the conversation ball there just go ahead and, and wrap no, it up bookend bookend is a perfect word and it you're right it is not to serve as a threat and i don't know why man it just seems to always be taken that way and 
uh, and I do have to caveat, this is something I learned the hard way, uh, in Louisiana, it is wise not to submit final demands as a public adjuster. Um, there is a public adjuster as 2020 or 2021 um, that was removed from several of his claims by a judge because he had used the term final demand, sent final demands to the carriers, and the judge ruled that as UPL. Oh, wow. Took him off his claims. Wow. And you can... Took him off his claims. We were all terrified at that point. And, and a lot of attorneys were saying, hey, right now, just cool, cool the jets. We'll be the ones to issue final demands. So check with your state, definitely. But to my knowledge, the only one, the only state where final demands are still kind of a hot topic on who, who does them or, or doesn't do them, it, it's Louisiana, yeah, so, to my knowledge. So be sure to stay in compliance with the state and be careful using legal terms like final demand. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I use yep. a lot of legal ease in my written communication because it is it's I, I find it to be much more clear about what it is that I'm communicating. But when you start titling things like like calling it the final demand, you can have all of the elements there. And as long as you never say the words final demand, you're good to go. You know what I'm saying? So depending on your state now in Texas, it's not a problem in Texas. It's yeah, it's I a normal part of what we do. I, I think a workaround is just maybe to call it final claims position yeah, or yeah. or claim summary, you know, or roll up or whatever, but yeah, check your state. You may have to be careful about the word demand. Yeah. Demand words like final and words like demand can be, can be complicated. Um, that you just want to, it's like final claim position. I kind of like that. This is, this is our, you know, our summary position. This is our summary report of all the damage. Um, there's a lot of different things that you could call it and still have all the elements in there. And basically, you know, the other thing is, is that it's a really good um, it's it, it, it's it's a really good sort of summary of the claim at large. And we'll get into the elements and those sorts of things here in a little bit. But it, it's a good single document that if it does go to an attorney or it does go to an appraiser, it really informs them and kind of lets them know sort of where this claim stands and what's kind of happened along the way. And, and it, it, it allows, it allows that person who you hand it off to, because the reality is, as a public adjuster, we've only got our, our lane is only so wide. You know what I mean? And, exactly. and a lot of times that, yes, that, that, that lane is wide enough to get a settlement and to close the claim. You know what I mean? And sometimes all you need is that initial, is that initial demand or that original claim, that original, that, that fine. And as opposed to a final claim, you have your initial claim. We've got it covered. We know we want to replace the roof. We know that we want to replace the gutters and we know that we're going to need to tarp the pool. And that's, and our position is not likely to change because that's what it is. But you know, sometimes we get in there and it's like, this is what we want the roof replaced. And oh my gosh, we've torn off decking and we realized now that we have rotten decking, we've got sprayed in insulation, or we've got some sort of radiant barrier on the other side of it. We found gas lines that are hooked to the decking because we did our due diligence rather than driving a nail through it. And this has, ex this has expanded the scope of what we thought it was originally going to be. And so when we realized that, that's why we have to kind of come back and change. And I think the common thing, let me ask you this, Jess, I have found that a lot of people just want to somewhat address that as 
you know, as it comes up and they try to argue those points kind of singularly and away from the, how do I say they don't, they don't combine it with everything else that's going on. And generally when you try to do that, that's when those small little things get shut down. You know what I mean? hundred percent. You know I, mean? I mean, especially because put, put yourself in these adjuster shoes, the carrier adjusters. They have hundred plus claims on their desk at any given time. They are hearing phone calls, emails, gripes, complaints, you know, this piece of detail on this claim and this detail on this claim. It's, it's, it's through email. It's through fax. It's through letters. It's through phone calls. It's through all these different, they're inundated with stimulation and, and information and trying to keep it all together. I just, I do empathize with them on that. Having worked hurricane claims, I can empathize. Having a final demand can sometimes be that helpful roll up of, you know, start all the way to finish where we've gone together and sometimes can serve as a, a, a friendly reminder. Okay. Oh, oh, I do remember that. Yep. She did submit that receipt. Oh, well, crap. Yep. I remember that too. Or you know what? She's wrong here. Or you know what I mean? So it, it helps kind of set that record straight all in one swoop and in a formal way, not just through some random email that gets lost in an inbox, you know, or not through what, I mean, it is a formal document that goes into a file. So and you know it's, it's just helpful to put it all in one dot now it's a it's it's a pain it's a pain in the butt i mean four to eight hours is sometimes how much time i'll spend on one final comprehensive final demand and I work on and, my final demand kind of as the claim goes on if i i mean because generally i can i can look at the writing on the wall and go yeah this is going to require a final demand I can just kind of, sometimes it's just sort of the attitude that the adjusters take it. And remember this guys, Jess is right, is they're going to have hundreds of claims on their desk, right? And they're not really trained to evaluate these claims. They're trained to close these claims and whatever it takes to close these claims. And sometimes the quickest way to close the claim is just a denial. And we've got to make it as hard as possible for them to deny. And so if you're not putting all of the facts together for them to address it as, as a unit and you make it look like it's, it's separated and separate from, from this one thing, then it becomes very hard to add it to the rest of the claim. So this, this air conditioning thing, it just sounds like I want new condenser units because I want it to match. No, this affects at large everything that's going on. This decking affects at large everything that's happening and so your final demand and i'll and i'll and i'll throw this in there just at the end it should be written from an informative rather than a persuasive so you yes. don't this is not calling them out you want to be informative and not persuasive for those of you who took speech class a persuasive is is something where you use you use verbiage that sounds like almost like you're trying to sell something you know, as opposed to these are the facts and just the facts, ma'am. You know what I mean? This is this. I'm just giving you the facts of the case and you can do whatever you want to with this information. So that'll close out round one. Any final thoughts on that, Jess? Or did we did we wrap it all up? 
Uh, well, one thing we forgot to say that a final demand is not. It is not a complaint. It is not a complaint. It's not a complaint. Yep, that's true. They're it is not a completely complaint. separate. It's a completely separate thing, and and I think I think we can do an entire show on complaints. And don't use your final demand as a complaint. Maybe part of the documentation for a complaint, but it is not a complaint. So. Um, well, that'll close out round one. We're going to get into round two. I'm looking forward to this one, too. That one flew by. I expect round two to do the same, but it starts right after this. One of the most difficult claims you can work is a contents claim. It requires extreme detail and significant documentation. Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services is the expert you need on your side. She will handle on-site evaluation, inventory, photo documentation, pricing, and overall contents claim organization. She will work with your team beginning to end so you can focus on the rest of the claim. Do your client a favor and call Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services. You can reach her at 515-783-1434. That's 515-783-1434 or find her on the web at monarchclaimservices.com. Round two, when is it best to use a final demand? Now, we kind of covered a little bit of this in round one. I probably kind of got the cart before the horse here. But um, you want to you use it once you know that you've got all of the stuff put together. You know what I'm saying? You want to, you kind of want to see everything. And a lot of times you're not going to be done with the final demand because you're not going to know what's going to go into the final demand because you may not have needed one. And then all of a sudden you get to the tail end of the claim. You've got to get this thing paid for. I'm dealing with a water loss right now that when we went in and originally looked at it, um, there was no damage in this one room. And then over time, the damage manifested. And so I anticipate, and then it, it resulted in an engineer coming out. I am betting that I am going to have a final demand, final demand. not come back, <laughs> not come back favorable. You know what I mean? Generally, one of the best times to use it is when you're trying to rebut a carrier's finding and that's where a final demand is a is a great tool now i'm not going to say that it's a silver bullet by any stretch but it's a great tool when you're up against an engineer because all engineers are is is an educated opinion it, it, and really and truly and i'm playing fast and loose with the word educated you know what i'm saying yeah, it's it, supposed to be scientific in nature. it's and it's not scientific it's an opinion of somebody with a college degree that's really it that's the that's the show i mean at this point in time we could get um we could get uh, the, the lead guitarist from queen to write one you know what i mean he doesn't work claims he's not this he's been playing guitar for the past 40 years for queen and and just because just because he's got this degree somehow his opinion carries weight in a place that it really doesn't apply or shouldn't you know, and so um, one of the things that I have put that I will put in this final demand is when I um, got notice, um, when I got notice that there was going to be an engineer, I asked for the engineer CV. I also asked for their certificate of insurance. Um, I, I ask for, you know, kind of, you know, where they're, you know, the information on their degree and all of that was denied. Every bit of it. They were not going to supply a single bit of it. And you know what? I don't care. 
It does not matter. What matters is that I ask for it. And what even speaks more to the fact is if they'd have provided it, it probably would have just gone away. But because in writing that they denied to supply me that information, what does that make them look like? It makes them look like they're trying to hide something. That's essentially, and I'm not saying that they are. It may be discovered that they're not hiding anything, but it shows the perception of just that fact alone. Remember I was talking, we don't want to use a persuasive. We want to use an informative. And when I inform you of the straight facts of that, believe it or not, that can be incredibly persuasive. So, um, but when you, when, when to use it, let's, let's get into that. And let's, first of all, let's talk about the completion of documentation. When you're using a final demand, let's talk about that. Just give me your thoughts on just the completion of documentation. Documentation isn't just your, your inspection, right? Your assessment. And it, it is the photos. It is some of that as the evidence too, but any receipts that have been collected along the way that may have changed some of the pricing throughout the process, like any of those things you need to update anything that's relevant and, and supports your estimate. So yes, you, you also want to complete that evaluation of the, all of the damages, but you also want to include any and all documentation Evidence, photographs, receipts, estimates, etc. Um, that would include any of your, because I say that there's basically three different kinds of documentation. There's firsthand documentation. Those are your photos. That could be even your estimate, you know, those sorts of things. There's, there is expert documentation where you've actually had an expert come in and take a look at it, like the contractor, anything of what his assessment may be. And then there's their, your third party unbiased documentation. And this documentation office often exists prior to the loss occurring okay so it is non-related to this loss it is a matter of fact and standard uh, on this and a good example of third-party unbiased documentation would be the s500 standard from the iicrc that is that is third-party unbiased documentation the iicrc has no dog in the hunt of whether or not your claim gets covered you know what I mean? And they they have defined what Category 3 water is. That is something that is well-defined. It's an industry standard. Um, you Other things might be like white papers, you know, possibly from Hague Engineering determining on what hail damage is. And, you know, when they've determined and they put a white paper out on this is how you determine what hail damage is or what damage really is, um, I love to use Hague Engineering because it's a carrier favorite and it's hard to refute it. Um you know what I'm saying? I have used Hague engineering white papers against Hague engineers. It's like, it's funny. Your company says something completely different. You know what I mean? Um, you, and here's other engineering reports that I've, that I've seen you guys come out and you basically state that this is damage. And yet in this report, you state it's not damage. So which one is it? Oh, and here's the funny thing. It's stamped by the same guy. That's weird. I've done that before. Um, you know, there's there's all of that. So, you know, you may use this documentation that, that, that doesn't have anything to do with the loss. Other things are bulletins from the commissioner, especially in Texas. Texas has a lot of those bulletins that would exist that the commissioner has determined what is wind damage. Um, you know, there's there's those sorts of things that and so that third party unbiased documentation is your third kind of documentation. You want to make sure you have a complete body of work when it comes to documentation, not just pictures of your left boot and aunt ned's cat you know what i mean so anyway ned aunt ned 
where it's 2024 you never yeah. know yeah she's she's a very masculine fellow <laughs> she's a handsome woman <laughs> there you go. so other than completion of documentation i mean you would argue too that you have to go i remember working for a firm that was like why would we ever update our estimate and i was like why would we not update our estimate? I mean, if you've given concession to a few things here, the carrier's given some concessions to a few things here, would you not update your estimate as the public adjuster, the one who is adjusting the claim? I mean, that's what the, the insured is paying you to do. And that updated estimate then goes in as that part of that final demand. Like, I acknowledge you gave concession on these things. I also acknowledge we gave concessions on these things. Again, in the state of Louisiana, I got to watch out for that public adjusters because we can't negotiate um, claims like that. But the insured sure can. You know, you can still, you know, get clearance from the insured and the insured gives their concessions or not. But, um, you know, and, and update your estimate. Provide that as part of the final demand. It shows you're trying to be transparent and be fair too. Well, and 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 the other thing, the other thing that you're wanting, um, gosh, I just completely lost my train of thought. What was the thing that you brought up, Jess? Golly, I updating your estimate. Well, there are yes. some public adjusters yeah. out there like, no, that's that's the job of the carrier to do. And there are well, yeah, it is, but there are times you're preparing the proof of loss package. Yeah, if you're going to refute their estimate, if you're going to refute their estimate from the beginning by basically saying that this thing is too low, you can't then ask them to start providing an estimate later. You know, they may use an estimate to pay off of and that's their own internal thing that they want to do on how they generate the, the, the check and what they need to generate a check. That's fine. Um, um, I basically disqualify their estimates all the time. The only time that I would say that you don't want to update your estimate is when y'all have basically agreed to disagree. We're not paying O and P, and I, oh, sure. I, I yes. need you to 100%. take. I need you to go ahead and take O and P off your estimate. No, I'm not taking O and P off my estimate because I believe that it is a valuable part of the claim. Okay. And should this thing end up going the legal route, I'm not adjusting that. So if you don't agree with them, if it's not a concession that you've made, if you've but you've agreed to go, look, we're not going to go for the upper cabinets. If you just replace the lower cabinets, we think we can get those matched pretty easy. So we're just going to go for the lower cabinets. If you've made that concession, then yeah, go ahead and update your estimate to pull it out of it. And those are, those are, those are examples in hyperbole. Okay. So whatever that is, there are opportunities where you may have made a mistake. You know what I'm saying? You may have estimated for, you know, one time I had, I had like a thousand feet of uh, baseboard inside of a bathroom. You know what I mean? And we could have put every inch of that bathroom with baseboards, covered the walls, the ceilings, the floors, and we wouldn't have had a thousand feet. It was a typo. So yes, I updated my estimate. You know, I mean, not everything that we turn in is absolutely, you know, um, mistake free. So those are places where you're going to want to update your estimate as well. So um, what about like, uh, the evaluation, um, you know, like the evaluation of, uh, again, getting back to key, key factors. We talked about the completion of documentation. What about the evaluation of damages, Jess? I mean, what do you think just, there? Just, just the full extent. So sometimes, I mean, how many times, well, I guess I should say mostly it happens for me in hurricane claims, but you know, when you, especially for hurricane claims and water loss claims through the process, it, it may be four or five months later, maybe six months later, you're finally issuing this final demand. Well, I, I don't know. I go back and do another assessment and include the things that have grown since yep. the first, because, you know, 
they didn't get to remove the drywall with the mold because this whole thing was in dispute. So until they approved it, the homeowner was like, I look, I got the mitigation folks in here to dry this place out, but you never said you were paying for the drywall. So I wasn't going to remove it. And now there's mold. And now, you know, so you go back yeah. and you include those additional damages that have occurred as a result of going through the claim process. You actually have a but note. you can't do that unless you evaluate yeah, it. Yeah, and you have a note here, additional additional living expenses, additional expenses and losses that have been incurred because of you know yes, being negotiated. Too. I worked in appraisal one time and the claim went all the way to appraisal. It was three or four months old. And in appraisal we basically said, hey look, this, you know, the repairs are going to take probably three months to complete. Well, they included the months of dispute all the way up to appraisal and said, well, it's been three months. We're not paying for any more additional living expenses. And I mean look, that's as Bush League as it comes. But you know, sometimes these have to be from this date, you have to be really clear about the evaluation of these damages and and how long they're going to be ongoing um the next thing you know you know leaving evaluation of damages you just want to make sure that you're comprehensive in it the biggest thing is the next one that i i I could camp out i don't have a lot of time and so i'm going to hit it with broad strokes is policy review guys read the policy Oh my God, read the policy. Make sure that there is coverage, not just coverage, make sure that you understand where the coverage applies because I guarantee you, if you are not a student of the policy, the carrier adjuster I have seen, and I'm, and I'm just thinking of something like a matching endorsement on, on roof and siding. You know what I'm saying? They will use that as a coverage cap rather than an expansion of coverage to cover to cover the the damage portion of the roof. It's like, oh, well, all we have to pay is $10,000. got a $10,000 matching endorsement, so that's all we have to pay. And it's like, no, 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 no. You have to address the ensuing loss of the actual damage. Um, this is the unaffected part, and that's just matching, you know. And so, I, you know, even the people that I counsel when they're getting – um, when they're buying a new homeowner's policy, like be careful of that matching endorsement. Be very, very careful because it can be weaponized against you and you may not have a solid public adjuster that knows how to argue this thing. So be wary of that matching endorsement. But guys, the policy review is critical, especially when you're dealing with endorsements and the caps and how all of those work. Understand those things. Anything on policy review there, Jess? Well, some people would argue I can't do a proof of loss package without first reviewing the, the policy. But what if the carrier spends two months pretending that they're going to send me a copy of the policy? Uh, I have always operated off of, you know, we're on timelines as well. Uh, if the carrier's not going to send me the policy, at a bare minimum, I always have a copy of the de- declarations page. That declarations page is going to get me at least an 80 ballpark of what's in that policy because declarations page typically lists those exclusions and endorsements and all that other good stuff. So, yep. Yep. And and of course the caps. So you're at least, I mean, especially if you're experienced and you've, you've done enough of these and read enough policies, you have at least a good 80, 90% understanding of what's in that policy. Do the proof of loss package to the best of your ability. Don't sit and sit and sit and wait for the carrier to send a copy of that policy. But this final demand gives you that room to go back and once you finally do get a full copy of that policy, which, look, sometimes they may not give it to you for three or four months. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, but don't use that as an excuse not to get a proof of loss package out the gate, but go back before you write that final demand and make sure that you what you put in that final demand 
ties directly back to that policy review. Um, there's, you know, especially when, when you're talking about that, a quick little hack is, is a lot of these insurance carriers have customer portals that you can log on to and at least get a copy of the policy there. That does not mean that you shouldn't hold the carrier's feet to the fire for not providing it to you. If you ask for it, they should provide it to you and you can operate. Yeah, I know all the information. I've got all the information, but your reluctance to provide it to me definitely can sway some consideration if it does go into litigation. I see here we asked for it. That's the first thing we asked for, yet you never provided it. And um, there's a couple of other points. We're not going to have a whole lot of time to get into it, so I'm going to hit all three of them really quickly. And Jess, I kind of want you to just sort of summarize it. So again, just to kind of to review, we've got the completion of documentation, the evaluation of damages, the policy review, which we covered, but then there's legal and contractual considerations, communication with the insurance carrier, and then um, the policyholder consent. Big one. Yeah. The, the big one is that last one. And that's one. really kind of what I want you to wrap up round two with. The legal and contractual considerations um, are things that you want to look at that anything that the uh, policyholder is, is obligated to when it comes to that. You know, it may include um, references relevant to laws, building codes, those sorts of things, whatever they are obligated to. Sometimes there's a homeowner's a situation that is going on, a homeowner uh, or a homeowner's association that you have to consider those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of like what you have here with communication with the insurance company, Jess. Jess gave me some notes on kind of what her thoughts were. Um, it just is giving, it's really kind of putting them on notice. You know what I mean? And that's and it's it, it's important what's going on. But policyholder consent, just give me six give me give me thirty seconds on policyholder consent. Look, if the policyholder has absolutely zero intention of going and seeking alternate dispute resolution methods following that final demand, there is no point in doing the eight hours that could sometimes take to do one of these. Correct. If the policyholder says nope. I'm just done. It is what it is. Uh, I'm just, whatever the case may be, whatever reason they give you, it doesn't matter. You, you really shouldn't send a final demand without that consent that, that we're going to do. Yeah, some, we're you know, taking we're this thing to the mat. We're going all the way. We're going at least going to the next step of appraisal. Yeah. And, and it also serves as an end cap to, for what they understand about their claim as well. I mean, because you're updating them all throughout the process, but they don't remember everything that you've updated along the way. So it also serves as a, okay, we've made some concessions here. They've made some concessions here. This is the final amount that we're demanding and why at this amount, this is how this amount came to be. That still, it, that uh, the client deserves to know that or be reminded of that and give get that last input into, yep, I am fine with that number. And and that's it. That's yeah. That would be the policyholder consent and why it's important. And and one of the last things that you want to look at, like Texas has a bill of rights, and basically when you provide a timeline and in this final demand that you may be providing, you want to be careful that you're not calling them out, you're not arguing any kind of case law, you're not doing any of that because that is the unlicensed practice of law. But you can go, you know, on you know the state basically states in the bill of rights that you have 15 days to settle this claim. We are now, you know, that, that started on January the 1st and today is January the 20th and we still have no settlement. So anybody can tell that you're, I'm not saying that you're in violation, but you know, one is, one is 15 days and the other one is 20 days. So those are things to consider. 
And and last is you know the part of the when to do these. Don't do them too prematurely either. Yeah. Um, especially if you don't have a full and comprehensive understanding of all the damages, all the, you know, the specialty, the HVAC, the plumbing and all those invoices and things that may be out there really take your time. I would say on average, somewhere between the four and six month mark, I'm doing a final demand. Sure. Um, and, and I'm moving the claim on there. It is, it just, and then this is where I just get on a, a, a professional <laughs> podium here and say my professional opinion is no PA. Uh, I'll rephrase that. It's it's claim dependent, obviously, but vast majority of residential type losses, you shouldn't hold on to them for any longer than six months. You're it's just a disservice to the homeowner. Get that final demand, poop, and get off the pot. Right, and, and I mean that's you're you're generally you're generally right there. While I have held on to claims, I have worked claims, you know, well past a year. I, there's caveats to that, but I, by and large, I do agree. Don't just sit there in a tug of war with them going back and forth over the same issue. Put it in your final demand and move on. You know what I'm saying? And this is not about, you know, ego or winning the argument or knowing that you're right and them admitting it. Because if all you had to do is be right, we'd all make a lot more money at this. Um, that'll close out round two. Um, we're going to get into round three, which is, um, you know what goes in it. And uh, round three starts right after this. Are you a public adjuster, insurance roofer, or part of the restoration industry looking to streamline your first-party claims process? Let me introduce you to Claim Wizard, the ultimate tool that transforms the way you handle claims. Claim Wizard is designed with your unique business needs in mind. It offers a comprehensive suite of features that makes managing claims effortless. With its intuitive dashboard, you can easily track and manage every aspect of a claim from initiation to settlement. This powerful platform supports document management, automates workflows, and provides real-time updates ensuring you stay ahead in the game. At Claim Wizard, they understand the importance of support. That's why they offer unmatched customer service with a team of experts who are always ready to assist you. Whether it's a technical query or guidance on best practices, Team Wizard is there to ensure your experience with Claim Wizard is smooth and efficient. Time is money, especially in the claims industry. Claim Wizard is engineered to maximize efficiency. It streamlines the entire claims process, reducing the time spent on paperwork and administration. This means faster claim resolution, increased customer satisfaction, and ultimately a boost in your business's productivity and profitability. So if you're looking to elevate your claims handling process, Claim Wizard is the solution. Try it today and experience a revolution in claims management. Claim Wizard, revolutionizing claims, handling one claim at a time. Round three, the elements of a final demand. So I'm going to hit these real quick in case we run out of time. Okay. So you want to introduce, basically you want to do an introduction on it. Then there is a timeline of events. Um, you kind of want to, you, the introduction is going to f basically include on this day, this happened. And because on this day, this happened, these are the, these are the events that ensued. And then, um, then there's the, the process of the claim, the claims process. And so you're going to give a timeline of events with that. 
Um, you're going to have issues, discussions, and solutions. You know what I mean? You're going to have those conversations that this has been an issue. This is where I think that this is wrong. Right in here is where you can often offer your sort of rebuttal of, of carrier evidence um, is where you can get into this. You, you submitted, we have an issue with the, with the engineer's report that you submitted because it's not accurate or it's just an opinion. Um, you're going to recap the differences between where the carrier is, where you are, is what you figured that the claim is owed. And then um, basically you've got, some, you've got some options in summary. You know what I mean? There's some different things that you can do there. Um, you can include facts, figures, exhibits, that kind of thing. Um, or you can, or you can just kind of exhibit your point from A to B or A to Z. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can point to these sort of things and go, Hey, we've got this. This is the claim. This is the money. You said it's $12 to paint. We say it's $24 to paint. You said the floor was it. You can just point to the differences basically. Um, and your evidence to basically support kind of why you're higher or different than what they are. Um, exhibits, um, you can, exhibits can be attaching, um, you know, like a full source document to it. I mean, that may be something like the S 500 would be like, say, Hey, we made our decisions based on this document, or here's this building code. These are the things that, that, you know, according to, um, you know, the IRC chapter nine roofing code, we've come up with this. These are all things that you can attach as to how you came up with your position. Um, You've got to also determine who your target audience is. And that's the final thing that you want to know is like, who are you writing this to? Um, it's uh, Jess says here, 99% of the time it's to the attorney and their legal team. That's going to take the claim. I agree with that. Um, 1% of the time, the carrier might read it. I have found that carriers don't like to read. So you have to, you have to do lots of pictures. You know what I mean? If you're at the final demand part anyway, the reality is, is that if you have all of these parts kind of working together, um, you're either passing it off to an appraiser or you're passing it off to an attorney at that point in time. That's generally where you are. I often never get to this step, you know, and I think a lot of people try to avoid getting here because they want to get the claim paid. I fully understand it. I'm in the middle of a final demand at this point in time that I'm going to have to write for a large loss that I've been working for quite a while now. And essentially the carrier didn't decided they didn't want to work contents until they, we were a year into the loss. Oh, wow. You know, um, and especially in these States where you don't have a prop payment of claims, you know what I'm saying? And they can continue to, to, to send you a barrage of requests for information before they make a claim decision. And that's a lot of times what will drag it out is they'll ask you, okay, we need this itemized. And so you send it to them itemized. It's like, well, we need to know where you got this item itemization from. What is your source of this itemization? And so then you send it to them and then, you know, you're following up 10 days later. Hey, did you ever get that? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But now we really need to know, you know, can you write this? Can you go ahead and put this in Xactimate for us? And then it's all of this request for information and stuff because you believe that this last step is the thing that's going to close the claim. And at some point you realize that they're just going to keep asking questions. And then there's a lot of states out there that there's no statute that stops them from doing that. And so you, you basically sometimes just to, to end that, 
that's where the final demand really comes in. It's like either you're going to pay it or you're not going to pay it. And if not, we're going to move forward and um, you can you can send in your final denial at this point. Yeah, one thing I'd like to say about so intro, that's just, you know, restating, I you know, I am the public adjuster is retained by your insurer. This is the claim we're talking about, you know, date of loss, whatever. It's, it's just that, you know, getting them back around the table of what this whole letter is about. The timeline of events, uh, what I what I usually train people is that it's not a play-by-play of every stinking thing that you did on that file, like every single email and every single phone call. You pick out the bigger muscle movements, the the parts, like mo- more of those milestones of the claim or something where, you know, they, they just did something blatantly, you know, wrong or or blatantly you just blew through a, a statute timeline or, or something to that effect but you don't this is not the time to, to list out for, you know 60 70 individual emails on this date i did this on this date i did this but i do bulletize them date time goes first this is what occurred then next bullet on january 5th 2023 this is what occurred on february 2nd 2023 this is what occurred and again, I pick out the bigger muscle movements. When I get into issues and discussions, again, it's not supposed to be written like a complaint. We disagree. We can't get along. And wait, wait, wait. It's it's supposed to be very fact based. Such one of the ones that I you use a lot. Admitted that our report states this. Your report states that. Yep. Exactly. Yep. You know, one of them is the you know, especially with some of these cosmetic exclusions on you know metal roofs. Number one issue is, you know, especially when you send in a video showing that the water does not shed. It instead pools inside the hail dents. Water does not shed. Um, that That's a very factual observation. You can attach the exhibit, you know, or if you want to take a screenshot of something, you can include it as figure one. So you state the issue. I typically like to state my issues as one sentence, two at the absolute most. And it's very fact-based. This has what occurred. This is what was stated. And then the discussion is, we are rebutting this because X, Y, Z, or we do not agree with this position because X, Y, Z. And then right underneath that is where I'll put the figure or the reference to an exhibit or or whatever. I mean, I really do need to write these as professionals. This is where the whole, you know, we're not just you no know, knowledgeable in construction and we're not just knowledgeable in the claims process like you really got to whip out some writing skills there is a thought process and an organization to this thing it's a beast that's why they call it an art the art of the final demand but um anyway and, and then your recapping of the delta is is just okay this is the latest you know carrier estimate i usually like to use gross rcv and compare apples to apples sure I try not to get into removing of the, you know, depreciation and all. No, let's just keep it apples to apples. So carrier estimate dated December 29th, 2023, you know, 100,000. You know, our estimate dated blah, 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 whatever is, you know, 200,000, whatever. Our delta is now this. And as I always put in parentheses, gross RCV to let them know I'm not trying to be you know, ask for anything more. I know we've had some payments made and all this other stuff. I'm just speaking in gross RCV terms, replacement cost value. Then you subtract all that other stuff out. But first we have to both agree on the replacement cost value. Yeah. And then go from there. Right. So that's what I try to do with that. And I think, you know, drilling down on that gross RCV, because that's really what it comes down to. 
You know what I mean? Um, without getting into the arguing of the depreciation rate or, you know, the method of depreciation and you know, yeah. co-insurance and all of these kinds of things. Let's look at the number. Let's look at the, let's look at the value of the loss. And I think that that's really why you want to deal with the gross RCV on this thing is you're just wanting to look at the hard and fast data of this is what the loss costs. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. then, and, and rather than, you know, argue about, you know, other facts and figures that basically just inform that number, you know what I'm saying? And so that's, that's where, that's why that, that, that gross RCV is, is probably the most important number. And I completely agree with you on that, Jessa, Jess, the, to use, to use that number. And especially when you're arguing the Delta on that thing. So, um, for sure. And then the summary of options. I, now, here's where I did used to mess up as a PA all the time. I, I Looking back, you know, hindsight being 2020, you know, this thing isn't supposed to be a threatening document. But when you put language in there that says you must pay this or you must, you know, respond to us with, you know, each paragraph line in the policy that explains why, you know, certain line items aren't warranted or whatever, or pay this, the amount owed it within 72 hours. Well, that that whole within 72 hours thing because I did I used to include that 72 hours, that that's the part that I mean if I was reading it going back and reading these heck yeah that seems kind of threatening like I really only have 72 hours is what you're saying like I can't even most most carriers don't even reply within a week yep. time and because they're inundated with claims most 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 of them you know like I said I try to empathize right it's this is give and take if if I'm doing good as uh, as an adjuster working for the carrier with a hundred plus or 200 claims, God knows how many, and I'm, I'm doing good to get in, you know, one email a week or whatever. Well, then I blew through the 72 hour window. You didn't even really give me a chance to go give this to my supervisor and, and get in a meeting and a zoom call or whatever, and then try to make that right. I mean, so I got away from doing the 72 hour thing. Cause that, that kind of does make it more of a threat. Well, <laughs> if you don't pay this within 30, 72 hours we're going illegal. <laughs> well, and at the end of the day, kind of depending on what state you're in, there's certain amount of times that they have to review information. Um, true. You know what I mean? They, they have a certain amount of time that's, that's a legitimate amount of time for them to absolutely review the information in summary. You know what I mean? Um, I, you know, again, if you're not, if you're submitting new information, if you're submitting new information, then that's a concern. You know what I'm saying? If it's every everything that you're summarizing in this report, if it's old information, I would just say the date, the most recent information, the most recent information was submitted, you know, six weeks ago. And this is the last time y'all have not since requested any information. You I have you know, there's been no information, no additional information provided. And under the guidelines of the policy, our final claimed amount is X. You know, and under and then, you know, for your convenience, I have attached the timelines. Um, I have attached the timelines for payment under the state, under the state, you know, evaluation that is included within the Bill of Rights. I do this in Texas quite a bit is I go ahead and put in a copy of the Bill of Rights because we kind of talked about sort of your exhibits. This is part of my exhibit is this is a yep. bill of rights and That's right. you know this is this is uh, this is what i'm pointing to this is one of the biggest things that i see carriers violate all the time is that timeline you know and they're they're incessant you know they think nobody's watching them i'm working on a contents claim right now that 
Um, I'm working it with a content specialist and we submitted it. We submitted our, you know, our list on January the 4th, submitted that list on January the 4th. And I, he still has not actually reached out to me, but you know, 15 days has come and gone. And now I've gotten word through my content specialist that he now, he doesn't like her report. So he wants to send out an independent adjuster to evaluate. And I'm like, oh man, that ship has sailed, Bubba. Right. You right. request additional yeah. information. That ship, I mean, yeah, man, that's that that thing's pulled out of the harbor. We're not gonna do that. Now you've got fifteen business days to make your claim decision. And if you don't if you decide not to cover it, that's fine with me. Send your denial letter that you're not gonna cover it, that's fine, but you better have some sort of reason within the policy to not cover it, or you're gonna write a check. I mean that's where we are, and you're gonna go, Well, I can't write a check on that. Well, that's fine. Just understand where this goes after that. This is where this is going to go after that. So um, I'm not here to argue with you. And I think that that's the biggest thing that we need to realize is that the final demand is your final statement. It's like whether you accept it or don't accept it. I'm not here to convince you of it. This is yep. this is my final position. We're done here. You know, yep. and, I, and I, I have an immense I'm so glad I, I started out uh, under Cal Spoon's watch so yeah. to speak yeah. <laughs> under his mentorship because that is one thing that he presses on all the time you guys we are not attorneys we are not the construction experts either we have a duty to consult we have a duty to pull in information make all you know put all the sure. puzzle pieces together you know tell the story provide a value to the claim sure but that that's it it we are there to just adjust the claim based on information at hand. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're there to do and leave it on the table, take it or leave it and move on. Exactly. Um, there's a couple of things that I just kind of want to leave you with as we close this round out and I'm going to run out of time before I'm, I'm done talking, but, um, trust me, I don't have any problem with ringing the bell over myself. I do it all the time, but I see, I just did it. One of the things that I did to sharpen my writing skills, these are just a couple of little hacks, whether it's a carrier engineer report or whether it's your own engineers, read some of those engineers report. That is a great way. That is a great way to learn how to write. You know what I mean? And you can use some of the terminology in there that communicates really well. Also, go read legal positions. I mean, if you're on Facebook, on Love of the Playing Field or Attorney Adjuster Portal, all of these are great. On occasion, you'll go in. If you look at the documents that have been submitted, there's all sorts of legal positions in there that you can learn sort of because those those are really good examples of informative writing rather than persuasive writing. This is what we're saying. This is what you're saying. And you're just basically drawing out the facts here. And that's and that writing skill is super important. So sharpen your writing skills. Make sure that it sounds professional. Final demands are not easy. It is a huge piece of work product. And it's critical a lot of times to get in a claim settled, especially when you've got a lot going on in the claim or you've got a considerable coverage issue that the carrier is not really wanting to play ball on. And it is a great way for you, like I said at the beginning of the show, to simply just bookend it and be done with it and it's over. But Jess, final thoughts? No, I thought I think 
It's pretty good. I think we covered a lot. That went quick. <laughs> that went crazy quick. Um, we may have to revisit this. I know one of the things that I'm going to want to cover is complaint writing and inspection report writing because there's a lot of opportunity for you to use your writing skills in this, and you should be doing that. Um, that I don't. I just don't think it gets done enough. Oh, Jess has got one more thing. I do. I do. Okay. If you're going to use ChatGPT to help you write, go through it with a fine-tooth comb. ChatGPT is so long-winded half the times. and Because I'm a user of it. I, I, I do not hide that. I, I, I love using it because I am now you know, in my 40s. My mind is not as sharp. It takes me so much longer to get out of my head what I want to say, but I write and I've always written and going back to all my college, you know, documents and research papers, you know, I've written very much like what chat GPT, you know, responds with or produces, but even chat GPT drives me bat crap crazy with how long winded it can be sometimes use it. It is a tool and just know that that's all it is, is a tool to help you with your writing skills. Yep. It'll also but, help you organize your thoughts. It, yeah. Yes, it will definitely help you organize those thoughts so that what you are trying to say is communicated more effectively and efficiently. But I, I hesitate to use the word efficiently because it can be very, very long-winded. And going back to that whole, you know, some of these people have 100 plus claims. They don't like to read massive paragraphs. So do everybody a favor, condense it as much as you can. So ChatGPT is a great tool to help you with your writing and communication, but please, by God, just tweak it and put your DNA in it. Don't copy paste it. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Well, guys, that's going to do it for this week. I want to remind all of you that Control the Narrative is coming up on March 5th. I highly recommend you register sooner rather than later because you may you may realize that there are no tickets available because that could I anticipate I mean there's a good chance that ticket sales will be shut off in the next five to ten days so um, I if you haven't gotten them make sure that you get them just as soon as you possibly can and uh, go ahead and register now you can go to remedyclaims.com slash training to register for that event I myself will be teaching this. I look forward to meeting each and every one of you that are going to be able to make it. Um, I want to remind you that if you enjoyed this podcast or think it could help somebody, um, make sure that you share it with them. And while you're at it, go ahead and click like and subscribe. And we will be back next week. But in the meantime, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And we will see you on the next one. Ready to ram you like the fire, slam a jammer. Yes, we're coming up, don't even try to diminish it. I won't sign it, but I damn sure won't finish it.